Welcome to Beyond My Comic Shop. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. Beyond My Comic Shop is a subseries of My Comic Shop History, featuring stories in and around the comic book world. This subseries was previously known as Flat Squirrel Tales, but following a crisis of infinite podcasts, all of my shows now live under the My Comic Shop History podcast feed. This installment originally aired as an episode of Flat Squirrel Tales last season. It features Jermaine Exum, a.k.a. Lord Retail, manager of Acme Comics in Greensboro, North Carolina, and it is a direct continuation of the conversation that began in Season 3, Episode 8 of My Comic Shop History. My Comic Shop History, Beyond My Comic Shop, and My Comic Shop Book Club will all return with new episodes later in 2018. For now, enjoy this presentation of Desi Westside Meets Lord Retail. Jermaine, welcome back. Hey, I feel like uh, I feel like I never left. Yeah, when I say welcome back, that's a little uh, inaccurate because we were together the whole time. We uh, just took a break and we went down the strip here a little bit and we got some burgers at Hops. Yeah, it's something that in the podcasting world you just don't want to do is eat gigantic, delicious hamburgers and then try to get back in the zone because uh, I am, yeah, I'm feeling it. Those were like huge hamburgers. I, I only ate like, I didn't even eat half of mine. And uh, you can you describe what it was you ate just so people know who they're dealing with right now? Yeah, I'm I'm a little sleepy. Um, it was the North Carolinian burger. I went with bison, and it had a fried green tomato on it and a fried egg. I should have led with that. That's and, the, that's the and big a ticket. He- a healthy helping of pimento cheese as well. Let's, you cannot omit that. So yeah, that was a significant thing that you ate. Yeah, so that's what I'm working with right now. And you only had, yes, you only had about half of yours. What what was your your selection? Um, it was just a bison burger with a cheddar cheese and onions and mushrooms that were sautéed. I just kept it simple. So we had a great uh, conversation in part one. We're here for part two. I want to shift a little bit and, and really talk about Acme the Store and everything that you do here on a regular basis. So I suppose to start, just the, the store itself, the physical dimensions and layout, you have, first of all, I want to say it's, it's a tremendously impressive store. It is extremely well stocked. Um, you don't always find, you know, when you go to stores in the graphic novel section, for example, you don't always find all volumes or most volumes of a multi-volume series. And that's what I see consistently on the shelves here. Uh, and I know that a lot of work and upkeep goes into that. I think that if you look over, you're going to see our Image Comics graphic novels. And, you know, all I can see is what we don't have, what we're sold out of. But to your eye, you probably see, wow, there's all these volumes and there's like the complete, you know, complete library of this, set and the other. But all I can really see is what we don't have because that's just my eye. Um, as a business, you can't have everything. There's going to be some moments where you're simply out of something that a customer asks for, in which case you do need to get the customer information, get the item, follow up with them. That builds uh, that builds a connection that you're a reliable and interested uh, source, but there's certain things that your store needs to have. There's certain things that people are going to want, like Walking Dead. There's certain things that we know how to represent to people, like Nailbiter, for example. We can really represent what that series is, how it's different, and you know, get it in the right hands. And sometimes we're out of things. I think lock and key right now from IDW, the set's broken. So we're working on it. We're working on getting it complete again. 
I mean, are there cases where you sell something and you're just happy that it's gone and you, you don't restock it? Or is the goal really to always keep as much as you can on the shelves? There are certain cases where when an item sells, we have to think to ourselves, do we need to replace this this week? Do we need to replace this next month? Do we need to wait until someone asks for this? Or there's certain cases where, okay, we are out of Avengers versus X-Men. That is a universal, pretty gateway series that you can... There's places you can go after you read that series. So that's something we have to consider. Do we need that back sooner, or can we wait a little while? Now, the store itself, can you give me uh, an idea of the uh, dimensions that we're working with here? It's a large space. I'm terrible at dimensions. You have exploited one of my weaknesses, (laughs) is that I'm terrible with... uh, math and measurements and whatnot that's quite all right i mean i will say so the the main part the acme comics proper is really two stores in one yes right and in fact used to be set like acme had one piece of it and then the other space was a different store and now acme has both of those spaces correct i mean it's it's incredibly neat and well organized and well stocked as i said what's especially striking to me are your displays um, and I would love to to get your take on this because I think it's an excellent way to, you know, to showcase particular storylines or publishers or events and do it in a way that will catch the customer's attention. But also, I, I know there's a lot of thought that you put into the display. So I know that they're designed, you know, books are placed in a certain order, you know, to guide the customer and the reader uh, and make it as inviting as possible. Can you can you tell me and the listeners about your displays? Um I have always enjoyed building displays, and I don't know if that goes back to when I was a kid and I would set up my Transformers on a shelf in a certain way. I don't know if that's what that was. Maybe it was. I don't know. Um, Or I'd set up Star Wars figures in a certain manner for pretty much just me to look at. I don't know. But I enjoy building a good display. Like, for example, uh, Austin, the uh, assistant manager here, he actually built the DC Metal display which that was awesome. That means that, you know, there's someone here that understands the science behind a display and is able to do that at will. It's an awesome display. But on that display, there's Peter Milligan's Dark Knight, Dark City. There's Grant Morrison, Final Crisis. There's Return of Bruce Wayne. There was Multiversity by Grant Morrison. And then you've got your metal issues. Now, on the one hand, to a customer, they may say, why is that there? I'm just here to look at these comics. But when I interact with a person talking about the display, I will say, after you've read these issues, come back and we'll talk about why these things are here. We'll talk about why these things, why we've chosen for them to be there. And some of the stuff we kind of guessed at, maybe this will be part of the story. Maybe we should put Death of Hawkman out there. I don't know. And some of it kind of panned out. But uh, I've always liked building displays ever since I was uh, new here. Because that would allow me to search through my, uh, you know, mental archives of, okay, this current storyline has to do with this older storyline. And now, rather than someone having to search for them, they're both in the same place. Maybe somebody notices. Maybe they do something about it. Maybe they just look at it. Or it could be there's a display of a bestsellers, in which case there's, you know, Walking Dead paperback, but then there's this other thing, uh, Wicked and Divine. Maybe the person's never heard of that before. Maybe they're saying, well, I know Walking Dead is something, but why is this other thing also on this same display? Is there something to it? 
the, th the trap for me is sometimes I get too precious with my displays. I'm too proud of my art, I guess, and I'll have to really look at how customers interact with the display. I'll have to say, do I have to take a customer to it every time, or are they finding it on their own? I'll have to say, are they able to see what is going on, or do they have to be a certain distance away from it before they can tell what's happening? Not being too precious about things is something that I've adopted here in my older age, I suppose, at 41, where if it's not working, sometimes I have to say, okay, that didn't work. We'll have to figure out what wasn't working about it, adjust those things, or if the total package isn't working, then something different has to happen. Generally speaking, what types of reactions do you get from customers? Do you find that they are making their way to the display? Are they navigating it successfully? Is it resulting in purchases? I think that sometimes a customer will look in prescribed areas such as this week's comics, such as last week's uh, comics shelves. They will look perhaps in the general DC Comics paperback area before they will look at the you know, here's a showcase of awesome Batman stories. Maybe they'll not look at that first immediately. And sometimes I do notice that. Or sometimes people will go straight for a display and not go for the, you know, the, the book stacks, basically. So sometimes I feel like a particular display has a certain amount of connectivity and a certain amount of sales that it's going to yield. And I'll have to decide, has this display done everything it's going to do here? If I feel that it has... It's time for something different. Or if I feel that this is still working, people are still interacting with it, this needs to stay here, but not to the point of stagnancy. When I first started here at the store back in 1996, and a little bit before then when I was volunteering, the store was very stagnant. Picture, if you will, me coming in on a uh, Saturday, you know, after my real job, and my friend that was working here who I'd made friends with through the store. We went to the same high school, but I didn't know him then. Apparently, we uh, traded uh, comics through a third party, and he had some of my books, and I wouldn't know that for years. Um, so anyway, I would come to see Joe Schramm, who worked here at the store, and the manager of the store was a very, very particular man, not unlike uh, Steve Odo in some ways. He was not big on changing anything. Imagine, if you will... On a Saturday, when it was just Joe working and me, setting up a new display, taking it down before we left at the end of the day, undoing the display and putting everything back the way it was. I what, mean, do you, what do you think about that? That must be so disheartening. It wasn't. We, we were very excited to do something, but we knew that it had to be undone before Monday. So what, what do you make of that sentiment that, you know, to... Uh, Two pretty young guys, uh, not long out of high school, would care that much to set up a new display, arrange something awesome for a series for one day, and then take it all down so that the proper manager wouldn't, you know, incinerate us on Monday. Yeah, no, I mean, that takes a lot of commitment. I'm sure the more casual employee would have just figured, why bother? Exactly. You know, these displays... They are very, you know, well curated. I mean, even just your description of the the metal section, uh, which I know you said was was Austin's work. It's like it's not just the metal books and the tie-ins. It's other books that thematically or plot-wise led to it in some way. Um, so there's clearly a lot of thought that's going into that. It's the kind of display that you have to be you have to be a fan. You have to be somebody who's well versed in this. 
uh, in order to be able to put something together that has that much thought. Um, from a, as like a retail point of view, I would imagine there's a balance that you have to strike because on the one hand, you know, you want to keep the store moving. You want to keep things different and fresh so people have something new to take in, you know, when, when they come in the store. But at the same time, you don't want them to be, you know, disoriented. Exactly. I do have to worry about that at times. There are certain fundamentals that a customer needs to know what they're getting. They need to know new releases, where that is. They need to know where certain things are. Certain things must be static. But, you know, if uh, Defenders is about to come on Netflix uh, that week, then perhaps there's some Defenders material that is uh, uh, centralized as opposed to being scattered all around the store. And perhaps once Defenders has been out there for a while, and I guess there's some Inhumans thing, maybe we'll set up something for Inhumans, maybe we won't. But we really try to think in advance what is or is about to be on people's minds. Yeah, I mean, so uh, across from me, there's, to my left, there is the uh, X-Men display. To my right, there's a Star Wars display. To my left is DC Rebirth. Um, down the way behind me a bit, we have Secret Empire, and then there's Spider-Man. There's Transformers. <laughs> I know you're a big Transformers fan, so that's right here as well. Um, how how frequently do you change these out? DC Rebirth display has been in play for a while, and I think will continue to be in play for a while, um, because that is something that, again, it's an entire brand for the most part, and people kind of need to know, okay, this is where this brand of new releases, recent releases is. I ask myself on a regular basis, is it time for Spider-Man to perhaps join the standard Marvel titles and something else goes up there? At what point does Secret Empire phase out now that the entire storyline is available and a person could buy all of the main parts? I've actually, this week, really curated down the amount of tie-ins that were on that display. Now it's literally main series, Captain America, Steve Rogers, and Sam Wilson and related paperbacks. That's all that was there. Now, previously, it was everything with the banner on it was there. Something like Rebirth or Metal, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. These are popular events and initiatives that are that are ongoing. It, it makes sense to have something like that. But what are some things that you've taken a chance on that maybe might not seem really intuitive that, oh, this is going to get a display, but you gave it a shot? Well, sometimes we'll do a creator display. Like we will do a recently on the recommended reading graphic novels display so that people can see what we're reading. It'll be a little tab with our name and maybe about five different graphic novels of various sort just so people can see what are the people here interested in right now. What are they saying is something to read? But on that same display, sometimes we'll do a specific creator, be it Tom King, Jason Aaron. It'll be a specific creator. And, you know, sometimes it's good to see, oh, the guy that writes Mighty Thor, which is the one title I read, I didn't know he did other stuff. Sometimes it's a thing that uh, you know helps people to discover things from other publishers. There's some people that if it's not for Marvel, they don't read it. It just depends on on you know what you look at. But if something is right beside the other thing, then maybe you uh, maybe you notice it, maybe you move upon it. You know, just recently I was wondering if it is time to retire the Defenders display. And what would I put there instead? Sometimes I like to put out something that isn't topical. Maybe it needs to be something that we think is really cool and we're excited about it. 
We just want to showcase it a little bit. Yeah, I was going to ask, have there been cases where you've put together a display and it's really ignited interest in something among your customers where that interest maybe wasn't really there before, or at least not to that extent? There's always things like uh, lock and key from IDW. There's various things that we will put energy behind to which new people may say, huh, I wonder why they're talking about this thing. I've never read it before. Let me ask them what it's about or let me just go ahead and get it. So this business with the displays, this kind of gets at, you know, what, we, what we've been building towards, which is, you know, one of the main things I wanted to talk to you about, the role of the retailer today. Because, you know, not, you and I have spoken about this off mic, that it's, you know, it's not enough to just, be, to just be the person who orders the books and puts them on the shelf and rings up a customer. Are you sure? I, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't think so, but I think there's some stores that, that level is good enough that they're able to endure and quote-unquote succeed, however you measure that, simply by doing that. In my opinion, and I've tweeted about this sometimes, because sometimes I do, you know, get a fire lit under me, and I will say that putting a book on the shelf, and speaking to retailers here, putting a book on the shelf, ringing up a book, telling the customer how much they owe, and producing change on a bag, that is not selling the book. That is ringing up the book, but that is not selling the book. Selling the book is saying, here's what's good about this book. Here is what is going to connect to you, specific person, or general customer. Here's the thing that you need to know about this week. Enjoy looking around the rest of the store, but here's the thing that you really need to know about that we think you should know about. That's what we want to represent to you this week. I think that is selling the book. You know, the, the publisher and the creator can only do so much. You are the last person. We, the retailer, are the last person that has any type of opinion before the end-of-line customer leaves with it. Yeah, you are, I, I mean, I, I think it's more than fair to say, a very active retailer. I mean, from putting together these displays to the hand-selling to the Twitter reviews of the books to the events that you host. I know you bring in creators. Uh, to participate in events. I know Free Comic Book Day is a huge event for you guys. So, I mean, it seems like you, not it seems, you have taken such an active role. I know that's the role of the retailer for you. Do you feel that's the role that other retailers should be playing as well? I don't, I, I won't always be so bold as to say what other retailers should and shouldn't be doing. Sure. There are some things that I would think that all retailers should do, but... I wouldn't be so bold as to say, you know, if you're not doing this, then why are you showing up? What is the point of this? If you're not doing this, why are you here? Um, but I think that, and I was just talking to a, a customer about this earlier, you know, even when I was younger, let alone people older than me, there wasn't a whole lot of stuff going on at the comic book store. There weren't any, for my experience here in North Carolina, there weren't a lot of signings going on. There weren't any... There was nothing like Batman Day where you could go to the store and get like a neat Batman mask or some sort of book you could only get that day. There was no free comic book day. Now I think that there are many, many, many events going on that a comic book fan can participate in. And I think that that's part of how a retailer can stay pertinent and a member of the community is by having fun things going on that a person can say, okay, these things are happening. There's a baseball game over here. There's this event happening. There's something happening at the comic book store. Oh, okay, what's happening at the comic book store? That's kind of different. Maybe I'll go check that out. Or as some type of a 
you know, just say thank you for the people that, you know, keep you open. Say, here, we're doing something for, you know, Batman Day. It's not Batman Day. It's Harley Quinn Day. We're going to have fun Harley Quinn stuff going on for her uh, anniversary. Because that's what they've done this year. She has co-opted Batman Day. So it's a little bit different. I just feel like years ago, that wasn't something that was going on. You know, and I think that there's so many things that are coming across people's plates in the modern world. And I've, I've watched this happen over the years. People are so inundated by, you know, here's every episode of Defenders on Netflix. Here's the latest video game. Here's two movies you want to see coming out this weekend. Here's a novel as well. And here's some comic books. And your DVR is full also. So I think that people are a little overwhelmed. So would you say that being more active taking part in more community engagement and offering an increased level of customer service, that's a way to cut through all of the all of the noise and maybe reach people more effectively and also combat all of this competition? Because people can get their books digitally. They can get their books on Amazon. I mean, all of these things that you're describing, is that a way to get them and keep them in the store? I think that is a way, and it might just be the way. It, it might be the most effective way that you become and reestablish yourself as a member of the community. And most importantly, you are a part of a person's weekly or monthly routine. You know, you get off work, you get your haircut, you check out the comic book store, you go order a pizza, you go home, you watch television. Like you, you're, you're a welcome part of a routine. And I think that's, that's important. That, that's something that, does distinguish you from the noise. So, of course, I don't expect you to speak for all retailers, but from the ones you've interacted with at shows, at retailer summits, online, via email, I mean, this sentiment that you're expressing, is this one that you feel is shared by a lot of your fellow retailers? Some of them? Most of them? I mean, what are you finding? I'm going to say some. I'm going to say some retailers. Like Just this weekend, I was talking to uh, uh, Bill and Tiffany Young from Arkham Comics, they're, uh, they just recently opened their second store. Um, they're in a different region of, of uh, North Carolina, more, more southeast from this area, closer to, closer to Raleigh area. And even though they're newer, just some of the conversation that we were having as far as like, you know, this is something that we do in order to do this. This is something that we do in order to, you know, connect with people in this way. We were so much on the same page. We were speaking the same language instantaneously, even though they're kind of newer retailers to me, and they're you know, newer in general, but we're speaking the same language of here are the ways to connect with people and take care of the people that are taking care of you, you know, keeping your store open. Ultimately, you know, you can only control your own actions and your own store. You can't make anybody do something that, you know, they don't want to do. I wonder, though, like, how do you feel about other stores, particularly ones who might not be receptive to this way of thinking? Is the idea, well, it's your store, do what you want, and if you don't make it, you don't make it? Or is the idea, you know, we are a retail community and everybody needs to be pulling their weight so that the industry can be strong and survive? Here come the hardballs. Hardball questions. Uh... Ultimately, it is up to the store. You know, it is not for me to say what anyone should be doing. It just isn't. But I think that 
you know, uh, again, there's a sentiment, for example, out there that all Marvel comics are terrible. If you've not been reading Marvel comics in a number of years and you're simply, you know, maybe checking out some YouTube reviews or seeing what people are talking about online, the sentiment is that all Marvel comics are full of broken glass and they smell terrible. It's just awful. But that is not exactly so. What I think is happening, though, is that customer is absorbing all that and then they're coming into the store and if the store then cannot say cannot or does not say otherwise then they're going to hold on to that opinion that everything marvel is terrible and no one said anything different and they leave but i think that if the store is plugged in they will see aspects of material that is good or will find something that they are excited it's, it's all about what are you excited about if you're excited about something, then that excitement is going to, if nothing else be noticed, or at most, it's going to transfer to someone else. So I'm, okay, Jason Aaron Thor seems like it's pretty good. There's some exciting stuff. I read the Simonson stuff, and he seems like some things are happening there that that's, uh, are pretty cool. Let me, let me see about that. Or it could be, you know, is Thor still a woman? Yeah, end of conversation. That's it, over. So I just think that there's... There's always solutions to problems. There's always some way. I want to pick back up on that in, in just a second. But I guess, how do I put this? I guess what, I'm, what I was trying to get at with that question is, in terms of like what other stores are doing, is you're feeling more like, guys, like this is what I'm doing and it's been successful. Like Everybody rally together and give this a shot. Or is it more like, well, if these stores aren't doing it, it makes my store stand out all the more. There are a f- there's a handful of stores in different parts of the country that I talk to on a regular basis. Um, a couple of them you're actually aware of, you know, through pure coincidence. But those stores are ones that I feel comfortable with sometimes sharing a success. Like, okay, we just did this, and we got this result, and I want you guys to you know, know that this happened. Not in a, hey, look at us today. It's a, maybe there's some way you can adapt this thing, you know, for your place or equally you know we tried this initiative and this was the response didn't quite go as planned but maybe you guys can do something with it and refine it in some way for your purposes you know that that's that's my goal is you want other stores that are receptive and willing and are trying to improve in some way you know to to adjust thinking in some way that hey maybe if we do this this might work. Or maybe, you know, that person was on to something. I am not nearly done learning at all. Right. And I certainly, you know, I don't get the sense you're trying to, like, thrust your views on other people. Like, that's mm-hmm. that's definitely not the sense that I get. I mean, it, it seems like it's more of, like, this is what I'm doing. And, you know, it's then up to others as far as whether they want to follow suit. Yeah. You know, if, if you followed me on Twitter, you kind of show up for whatever I'm talking about at the time. It could be nonsense or it could be, you know, here is... A display we just built. And on the one hand, a customer will say, oh, neat display. But then a retailer might say, oh, that's interesting. Maybe we can do something like that here instead of just the prescribed locations that comic books are in. You know, I don't know if uh, of the shops you've been into, I don't know how many have arranged their new releases in the way that we do, divided by this week's comics and adjacent section for last week and basically a month's worth of new releases in the same zone. That is a tremendous amount of work to maintain. 
doing it that way. And it's been that way for pretty much as as long as I've been around. This is how it's been done. Not necessarily in the same form, but presenting four weeks worth of material in the same general area. You know, not not layered or, or stacked, but like an actual next section over is two weeks ago. Next section over, three weeks ago. Final section, four weeks ago. It's a lot of work, but I think it's worth it. I could be mistaken, but I don't believe any of the stores I've been to do it in that way. Um, what What's more common and what we used to do at Alternate Realities is you have your wall of new books and the past X number of issues are behind the latest book. Um, and like the way we did it at Alternate Realities, whatever was new that week had a tag under it that said new. I know most stores do it that way, and it's very convenient. It's very easy to do it that way. And some stores do not have the space to do anything other than that. It's just this is how it must. This is how this material must display. But we're fortunate here that we can do it this way, and we will do it this way. So this more active role that you've that you've taken as a retailer, these techniques that you implement in the time that you've been doing this the nature of the industry has changed and there is you know there are so many other ways for people to get their comics uh there's so much other content competing for their attention so you know that's so i guess how have you changed as a retailer as the industry has changed you know i i never took any like formal marketing classes even though i guess that's what i've been doing like you know building a display is a type of marketing it is i think that a skill that i've had is being able to in some way anticipate a curve in the road rather than, you know, you're driving along at top speed, then you're in the midst of a curve and you don't know what just happened and you're off the rails. I think that I've always been kind of good at, in ways, anticipating, okay, we need to kind of change in this way and stay, I hate to use the word cutting edge because that's generic and I'm not even sure that's where we are. Who, who knows? I, I doubt we're on the cutting edge. But at least be flexible and be able to change with changing times because, you know, the store has been open since 1983. Think about all the different economic changes and, and, and changes, as you said, in how media is consumed. And let alone in my 21 years here, there's been so many changes so much faster in, in, in all those things. But I have to not be not be too precious that I can't change in some way, not be too, you know, we're never going to carry this or we're never going to do this this way. Like, for example, uh, offering individual bags and boards. You know, we, we didn't do that for a very long time because you can buy a package of 100 bags and 100 boards for this price. You're going to need them eventually. You're going to have 100 comic books. But some people, they just wanted enough bags and boards to cover the things they just bought. And that was something we didn't offer for sale for a absurdly long time. But we do now, and we always will. That was a big seller at Alternate Realities. People like the convenience. They don't want to sit there and make up 100 bags and boards. And, you know, for the collectors, they want their stuff bagged and boarded right away in some cases. Yeah, it just that, that wasn't my personal thinking. I wait until... I have a big stack of comic books, and then I will get bags and boards, and I'll put them all away at once. Yeah. No, but, like, we were surprised at how receptive receptive people were to that. Like, it, you know, it wasn't something we were expecting. Exactly. So my thinking is, what else is there like that that's not occurring to me? I'm, I'm not nearly done learning at all. You mentioned when 
you know, you, you started at Acme and, you know, you guys would create these displays and then you'd have to break them down. <laughs> Literally have to. I think there was one time that we forgot a display. Like we did, we, it sounds like a, what's the thing where the elves come in and like fix the shoes for the guy? <laughs> it sounds like that. But there was one thing. Literally one thing that we forgot about, and it was, uh, you know, it was nuclear. You know, now, of course, you are the manager, and you've been the manager for some time, uh, about 15 years. It seems like. Passage of time is difficult for me to measure sometimes here. <laughs> in part one, we talked about how, you know, in terms of the relationship between you and the owner of the store, it seems like you have a, a fair amount of autonomy. Are there specific things, if you're willing to share, that you would like to do that you have not been able to yet because of maybe pushback from the um, owner? We are one of the only, you know, having gone to retailer meetings, either through Diamond Distribution or Comics Pro, I found we're one of the few stores of our size that works pretty much exclusively through Diamond. Most stores are going to have, you know, accounts with Baker & Taylor, with a... Uh, what are some of the other uh, distri- there's other distributors yes diamond is the major one if you want marvel and dc you got to deal with diamond but there are other distributors through which case i guess it's not a monopoly because there are other distributors through which you can get other graphic novels and other comics and they offer you know various discounts and stuff i think we're one of the only places that our uh, sources are not diversified so that's one thing i would definitely look into is seeing what the truly best deal is even if it meant you know uh maybe we just get lumberjanes graphic novels from that one place it's the only thing we get from there and everything else boom studios comes through diamond i don't don't know just seeing what is possible that's something that i would look into almost immediately if it were up to me in part one we also talked about you potentially buying the store at some point i feel like it's it's kind of funny because i mean you from what I can tell and the fact that everybody is always, you know, mentioning you and recommending your store, I mean, you, you've done a great job and you really built a store and it, and it is successful. And as a result, it would probably cost you more to buy it <laughs> by virtue of what a great job you've done. I mean, that that is, you know, that's potentially a factor. Like, I, I get what you're saying. You know, I, I have increased the profile of this place, so to speak. Um so, yeah, that, that is a consideration in, you know, what the, uh, if or in what shape that would impact things. Circling back to the role of the retailer. So, again, we've talked about the displays in part one. We talked about your Twitter reviews, and I, I do want to kind of get into that a little bit more, you know, as far as like the hand selling and things like that. So, I mean, I guess with what regularity are you able to turn somebody on to something or, you know, get them to try something that they're, that they either hadn't considered or that they might actively be opposed to? Um, we have many longtime customers here where there's some people that it's difficult to find a recommendation unless it's something brand new because we've already showed them a lot of the, you know, uh, uh, perennial highlights and also things that we have discovered as well. Um, but there's, we're very fortunate in that we do have the mythical new customer. You know, the legendary new customer that that everyone's searching for, that some people have only heard tell of, that does exist, and we do get that from time to time, in which case we can introduce people to 
you know, it, it could very well be Walking Dead, where a person just watches a TV show and doesn't has not yet explored the books and has not really heard. You know, is this the same stuff? Like, what is this? Did they just start making the books last year? You know, we're able to then represent that material and, and speak on its behalf. That's a that's a fun thing. I I love new customers. I love answering questions. I love being able to use my experience and my comic book knowledge for someone else. It's my favorite thing. Some customers are like, well, I don't want to bother you with these ridiculous questions. It's like, no, I, I want your questions. I didn't show up here to, you know, put cardboard into bags or to put spawn back issues back in the correct order. This is what I'm here for. This part where you're asking me, you know, what's a good Batman to read? Or if I like the Flash TV show, is there a place that I can start reading? Yeah, I mean, so when a new when that when that new customer comes in, what is the approach? I mean, how quickly are you engaging with them? Or do you wait for them to come to you? How does that typically unfold? Typically, when a customer comes in, you have to greet them. You have to acknowledge that they're in the store. To me, that's like basic 101 that, you know, you, you need to... Sometimes you're trapped on the phone or there's two or three customers with you and you just can't get to them fast enough. But you got to acknowledge that someone has just come in the store. And sometimes when I go to other stores, that kind of never happens. And I'm just there and I'm on my own from door to leaving. I'm just on my own. But you want to acknowledge the customer. Typically, when I ask somebody how they're doing, I'm not just arbitrarily asking them, like, you know, how's it going today? Maybe it's fine or maybe, you know, whatever. But I did ask. Then sometimes I will ask, you know, can we help you find something, which I've kind of started to pull away from that one because that is then, that's putting something onto the customer that, you know, maybe they're not looking for anything. Maybe they don't know what it is. And that line, that line of engagement kind of hits a, uh, hit a wall. So I may then say, here's something new that just came out. This is where new releases are. Just sort of something where I'm, I'm showing them something. That's kind of a little recent experiment where I'm kind of trying to see how that interaction goes. Then you're going to need to kind of give the customer a little bit of space, let them kind of look around or talk amongst themselves, but then you will want to check on them or kind of observe or intuit what it is that they seem to be looking for. You know, are they checking out the Batman display? Are they talking amongst themselves about this movie they saw or something. You don't want to interject, but you do kind of want to, you know, they may be giving you something that you can then interact with, perhaps. But it's all going to depend on the customer. Some customers, they're not here to talk to the comic shop guy. They're just here to look around, or they're here to get this one thing. If they can find it on their own, it just depends. Each interaction is going to give you different clues about how, uh, what the best way to interact is. And I mean, on the note of customers, so you know that's that's a new you know, walk-in who might just might come into the store. But as far as your regulars, I know you are subscriber heavy. What is your relationship like with the customers generally? And I mean, because I think back to you know Steve at, at Alternate Realities, and people people knew him well. They knew what was going on. If he was having a good day or if he was having a bad day, I mean, it it was it was all there, and people knew what was going on with him in his personal life. I mean, so what what is your dynamic like with the customers? How much of a sharer are you? Um, I run an Instagram page where, you know, I may post about interesting comics that came across my desk not in a you know new item for sale way but in a look how look how jack kirby arranged this page that's kind of neat or i may you know take a picture of my food at this local restaurant that i want other people to know about 
And somebody recently said that, you know, my Instagram turning into a food blog. I was like, all right, I guess I need to do more comic stuff. So I do kind of put myself out there in that way. I guess sometimes, you know, sometimes people kind of want to know who you are. So sometimes I'll, you know, put a little something out there. Not not too much, of course. But, uh, you know, there's some people that have shopped at the store for from before I was here. There's some people I have been with for... 20 years. There's some people I've known for 10 or 15 years, and I'm not sure if they know what my name is. Some people <laughs> some, some people are fairly convinced my name is Jerome, and depending on what, what kind of date I'm having, I might actually answer to that. you got to pick your battles in life. But, I don't know, it's, it's hard for me to say what do people... I don't know always what people are seeing, you know, from their point of view. You know, hopefully they're seeing that I'm dedicated to this store and dedicated to, you know, whatever their needs are, whatever they want to talk about, whatever they're looking for, what they would like to be able to get through us. Part of the work, as I have determined it to be for myself, is on Wednesday morning I want to have as much knowledge and as much insight as possible into what's on that shelf. Meaning that, you know, okay, you got to read Amazing Spider-Man before you read Ben Riley this week. It makes a huge difference. Like, I need to know that. I need to impart to the person that is picking it up. You know, if I don't say that to them, I feel like I'm doing them a disservice. And usually when I say that, they'll say, oh, thanks for telling me that. You know, that's part of why a person comes here rather than maybe buys comics digitally or buys them on eBay. Because there will be no one to say, make sure you read this before that. It makes a big difference. That is a tremendous service, and so you know, as we've touched on, you. So, are you reading every new release? No, can't, I can't do that. Um, I will. What I do on Tuesday nights is I will read the majority of my own subscriptions, and I will select additional things that I'm not necessarily going to buy myself. That's going to be a part of my collection. I don't mean to cut you off, but so you are still maintaining a collection. Like, are you still reading and enjoying comics yes. on your own? That's awesome. Yes. Um, I actually have a subscription list, and I go over it from time to time just to make sure, you know, do I still need to be reading this, or am I enjoying this? Um, so Tuesday night. Yeah, Tuesday nights, um, I'll read between 15 and, say, 25 comics. And if I have something constructive to say, I'll put it out there. If, if the issue just wasn't very good, or was impenetrable in some way, or it was nothing to see here, then I probably won't comment on it anyway that's very cool do you find that your reviews move the needle at all in terms of sales like are there people coming in they're like oh we saw you tweeted about that i want to check it out um it can happen it, it can happen absolutely um i would be curious to know what's happening at, at other stores that's what i'd be curious to know if uh you know someone in some other state or multiple people in another state are like okay i need to get this issue does the store there then notice? Do they wonder why? I don't know. That's interesting. You know, we've been talking a lot about, you know, what, what your role is as a retailer and perhaps what the role of the retailer could or should be on a larger level. And as far as whether or not that's a path that other retailers take, that's, you know, for them to decide. But as far as the state of the industry generally, I feel like oftentimes when it's written about and when it's discussed, it is often like a doom and gloom view that is presented you know, and I feel like the death of the comics industry is something that people are always predicting. 
yet it still hasn't come. And I, 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 since I have you here, and you know, I know you are plugged in, and there's a lot that you do with your store, and you're connected to other stores. I mean, what is your view of the state of the industry today? I mean, like people. I mean, as you said, I'm like new people are still coming in looking for this. People are going to these comic book movies. People are watching these shows on television. There's more exposure to these characters than ever before. I mean, are you finding that that's helping, hurting, not really doing anything in terms of bringing people into the store? Um, there's a couple of different ways of looking at that. The best way to look at it is that, for example, take Iron Man. A person can watch a handful of Iron Man movies and have a basic understanding of how Iron Man works that is comparable to what took me 25 years of reading a ton of Iron Man comics to kind of grasp as far as like the basics of how does this guy work, what type of things are, you know, his challenges, what makes him different from like Spider-Man or whatever. So that means that a person can already have that and then can kind of pick up on various series. They're not going to have to learn the concept from the ground up. They're kind of going to kind of already have certain certain basic building blocks of how does the Flash work? I know how he works. I know how he got his powers. Let me immediately go to this storyline, you know, because I already have these basics under control. But then on the other hand, I guess another way of looking at that, and I can't remember what creator brought this up because it was a creator that framed it this way. If people can get Iron Fist at will in their home through Netflix... Do they then need to see his monthly adventures in a comic book form, or are they getting all the Iron Fist they can, they can handle? You know, if they can play him in this video game, they can watch his series at will. Are they good on Iron Fist content? And that's something I hadn't really considered, because that's possible for some people that they're good. You know, they reconnected with Iron Fist, and they don't really need to see his latest monthly adventure. Yeah, I mean that's an interesting question whether the TV shows and movies are driving people into comic shops or if that's kind of satisfying their fix for these characters, you know, or is it or are comics just part of this whole entertainment package that they're consuming? I, I think you could be right on that one. I think that you know you've got you know DC content in in Justice video game, you've got DC content coming into your home via television, you've got. DC Comics movies, but maybe all that is energizing you to also see what's happening in the latest comic books. That that is your, you know, you're getting a weekly interaction or monthly interaction with them that way as well. And I don't know if, you know, you're temporarily like, okay, I'm all Green Lantern out right now, or if you're just kind of like, well, it's been a couple of weeks, let me see what Green Lantern's up to, or... I heard that something is happening in Batman comics, or I would be curious to know if something is happening in Batman comics. As far as, again, you know, on this note of, of the state of the industry, I mean, do you, do you feel like the model is sustainable as it is right now, or are there changes that, that need to happen? And I know that's kind of a big question because there, you know, obviously there are a number of components to that, but I guess maybe to sort of frame that a little bit more specifically and going back to this topic of the role of the retailer it seems to me i'm not a retailer but it seems to me like there's an awful lot of risk that the retailer is carrying in this industry you know you are ordering these products months months in advance with some information but not maybe all of the information that you might necessarily need you're paying for these things up front they're generally not returnable you know, the customers you're working with, you know, it's it's always difficult to gauge exactly what level of interest you're going to have. 
stores run into the issue of delinquent customers. Again, dealing with Diamond, which, as you said, there. I mean, there are some other distributors out there. But again, generally speaking, if you want DC and Marvel, and you kind of need to have DC and Marvel, you have to go through Diamond. So, you know, in that case, you might have books that are shorted or damaged. I mean, just all of these things, it seems like it's a lot of risk for the retailer to bear. Is that something you agree with? Or, I mean, is this model, is it appropriate I, or not? I don't know. Let's be let's be completely clear here. Everything you've described is absolutely in play, and it is frightening sometimes. We could have all of our copies of this latest release are totally damaged, fresh out of the box. They were put into that box damaged. They were sent to us damaged. We are not able to sell those copies. And maybe every other store can sell copies. There's no problems. There's something that you thought would completely connect with people. I thought that the Venomverse storyline would connect with people instantaneously. There's a there's an alternate version of X-23, you know, Laura from Wolverine, that has a Venom on her. People are going to freak out about that. Connection with Venomverse was not what I thought it was going to be. Now, it's happening about five weeks into the storyline. People are going backwards and getting the stuff. But I thought it would be an instant hit, and it was not. It's a slow burn, which I'm not even sure why it's happening. You think if it didn't connect, it's never going to connect. But for some reason, it's been a slow burn. But there's that. There is, you know, maybe something was a hit, and we didn't have any indication from anyone that they were remotely interested in this thing and we didn't have enough copies that can happen another way i know that people are very just overwhelmed by media is i recall a period maybe about 12 years ago in which case people were very responsive make sure i get this new book i want to sign up for it right now i just heard it's coming out put me on the list for it right now in today's world the night before a thing is ready to sell, meaning we've already put in orders two months ago, the night before is when I'm hearing, hey, make sure I get this book. Make sure I get the new Mr. Miracle. I heard it's going to be good. As opposed to, I just heard Mr. Miracle's in the series. At some unknown point in the future, make sure I get that. Um, there's a lot of scary aspects about how all this works. And I don't know if we're just used to used to navigating those treacherous waters? Or as you say, are there changes that could be made? I would like to think that there would be changes that could be made. Wouldn't it be fantastic if everything was returnable? What if that was the world we lived in? That whatever you sold is what you paid for, and whatever you didn't sell within a period of time, you send it back to the publisher. That's how it is for Barnes & Noble. That's how it is for most major uh you know major uh booksellers magazine sellers there comes a point where they are not going to be saddled with that cost that is not even a part of the conversation but with comic book stores for the most part that's kind of how it is but i mean so given the way the industry is now i mean do you feel like it like it needs to change in order for acme to be here for another 30 years or you know we'll continue to find ways to make it work for us, and f- continue to find ways to innovate. I guess I'm just trying to get a sense of your, I guess, your like outlook on the future of the industry. The way I'm wired and the way that I'm built is, in general, it is how are we going to adjust to whatever the you know, coming changes, coming storm is? How are we going to adjust that? Because typically in life, 
a system doesn't really change because it's the right thing to do. It changes because it's completely on fire or because everybody totally turned against it altogether. I have to figure out, you know, how are we going to deal with this known quantity system that we, we know what the pitfalls and traps of the system are? We do. How are we going to deal with it? That's just how I'm set up. That's what my default thinking is. Not, you know, I hope they fix this someday as opposed to, okay, well, we're going to have to be prepared to fix this ourselves for ourselves. So I wanted to get your take on something that's been a bit of a controversy in the industry. Uh, I mean, it's not necessarily a new thing, but I feel like it's definitely become more of an issue recently, This I, the topic of incentive covers. And so, you know, my own experience with this working at Alternate Realities, um, typically you know, it would be in terms of like a one in 10 variant or a one in 20 variant. So for every 10 or 20 copies you ordered, you were able to order an additional one copy of the variant cover and you would typically sell it for, you know, $10 if it was one in 10, $20 if it was one in 20. I understand that still exists currently, but there's also this new scheme that Marvel in particular has been employing, uh, the meet and exceed structure. Would you mind explaining how this works? Just for um, people who, I know a lot of fans, I'm sure, have, have heard about this, and there's there's been a, a bit that's been written about it, but if you wouldn't mind laying it out, I'd appreciate it. Well, I, I guess there's, you know, the part of me, it's like, you know, how much does the customer care about how the sausage is made? I don't know if they care at all, or if they're like, well, that doesn't line up at all with what I thought was happening. I'm, I'm, I'm never quite sure. A company that does still operate in the parameters that you described as far as like, you know, one in ten copies. You order ten copies of this book, we will reward you with this special cover that you got for carrying ten copies of our product. IDW brand works that way for the most part still. DC Comics, right now, they are offering two covers on all their Rebirth titles. And there's no qualification. You can say, I want one copy of that cover, I want 100 copies of that cover. I want 50 copies of that cover. I want 50 copies of that cover. That is all in the control of the store. Marvel Comics, however, in addition to doing things such as for every 25 copies that you order, you can then order one of these. For every 1,000 copies you order, you can order one of these. They will also offer alternate covers that have to be unlocked by matching your current order on some previous order. You know, like, for example, uh, Defenders number four. If you want this particular cover, you have to order 100% or 125% or whatever arbitrary number that you did on Defenders number three. And in some cases, that's possible. It's like, okay, the series is doing well. We're going to keep it within the same zone so then we can make some of these other covers available to people if we want to. But then, in another example that I showed you, I think it was Daredevil, in order to make a certain special cover available, it's these uh, lenticular covers that move from classic cover to like a modern cover that Marvel's advertising heavily, but they're not saying what you have to do to get these covers. We would have to carry, I think we're carrying about 34, 35 copies of Daredevil right now. We would have to order... 100 copies. We'd have to purchase 100 copies of an issue of Daredevil kind of in the midst of a storyline in order to then be able to buy more of these other covers. And that's just not that's not feasible for most businesses. Some businesses, it is feasible. They're going to take that hit in order to make these other covers available. 
they're going to do that. But for us, I really have to think about not hurting ourselves. You know, this is a business. You have to take that into account. You can't do something that is going to damage yourself so that you, you know, can't be around for, for people in, in the long run. That's something to consider. And there are some customers here that, for example, they want every cover that a issue of Star Trek came out with. Whatever you were able to get, I would like to get all of those. If you're not able to get that one, then I'll see what I can find, or maybe I just won't get that one. But whatever you got, I'm expecting to buy those from you. And I don't want to penalize people. Some stores say we carry no variant covers. If it's a cover B, you're not going to see it here. I don't want to penalize people in that way. But at the same time, I will say a, a book could have 15,000 covers. I don't have to order 15,000 covers. I don't have to do that. I'm still in control of what decision-making is happening. So that's kind of my outlook on it. It's something that's come up in virtually every episode that I've done. And in some cases, it's made it into the episode, in other cases not. But it's, it's definitely something that's on retailers' minds, and I understand why. Just a quick uh, question. With this, the meet and exceed business, is it always a previous issue of the same series that you have to match and exceed, or is it sometimes an issue from a different series altogether? It can absolutely be an unrelated series. You know, if, for example, we did really well with, you know, just to pull something out of the air, we did really well with, uh, I don't know, the latest issue of Iron Man, then depending on how they reach these determinations, it could be, okay, you have to match orders on Captain America as what you did on Iron Man two months ago. And sometimes you just can't do that. Sometimes the, you know, you did really well with the thing. You were able to, you know, present to customers and they, they were excited about it. But that does not then mean that you can do the same thing with this other title. It's almost like, and I felt this way for a while, and I've kind of articulated it to Marvel in the past. And I almost feel like if you do well with their product, if you are carrying a lot of copies because you are able to use a lot of copies, you're almost penalized. Yes. If you carry less copies, then you are then able to participate in more incentives, you know, more rewards. But then right. if you carry less copies, then that means that you kind of weren't utilizing the stuff. You weren't building a base for it. Then what are you going to do with all this other, you know, quote unquote, cool stuff? What are you going to do with that? So, yes, I do agree with that, where like you are being punished if, you know, if you've ordered more on something. Is there any other way to see that or am I just being dramatic describing it that way? I feel like that is what's happening. Yeah. No, I mean, it's like if you're a store that doesn't move a lot of copies and you order like 10 of something, well, ordering 125% of that to unlock the variant is not going to be as much of a hurdle to clear. Yeah, you can do that. You're that's right, okay. That's doable. I can do that. So now from the retailer perspective, and I, I really see this, it's like you have to order all these additional copies that you're probably not going to be able to sell in order to unlock the privilege of buying these variant covers. On the other hand, I would imagine Marvel's argument is, well, that variant cover that you're unlocking, you're able to sell that at a much higher price so you can perhaps make up the difference and or unload those other copies maybe at a convention or something like that. I mean, if, the, if that is the counter argument, well, how do you respond to that? I think I do not think that Marvel puts that thought into it, that <laughs> perhaps you could offer these at a convention, perhaps at a local flea market. Have you considered, uh, you know, marking up the price on this? I don't think that enters into their thought process at all. Um, 
But you know, back to your statement, do we have to order a whole bunch of copies? That's what we really have to think about. Do we have to do that? And I say that the answer may not necessarily be yes, we have to do that in order to make these copies available. You have to rethink about what it is you're doing, how much additional you're spending to then be able to spend more, and see if it's uh, something you really need to do. That makes sense. And so, but I think there's a distinction between what I think is what you're describing, where you know, you get the ones you can, but if it doesn't make sense for you and for your store, then you don't. But I know there are some retailers who are who are boycotting these lenticular variants as a general matter. I mean, how do you feel when you hear something like that? Well, we are not boycotting the lenticular covers. Right. We can't qualify for a single one of them. Oh. Is that me boycotting? I don't think so. I'm not being loud about it. I no. can't, we can't carry any of them, not one of them. Um, but then I don't know if the stores are being vocal about it. Were they going to get any of them at all? Or are they like, look, we could get these books, but you know, we're not even going to do it. We're not playing this game. Yeah, that's a good question. (laughs) I I don't know which case it is. It could be a little bit of both or it could be one or the other. But I guess the thinking is that if it didn't work, Marvel slash fill in the blank wouldn't do it. And I'm not entirely sure how true that is. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I... You know, I meant to check this ahead of time, and I didn't, so I don't know the specifics. But I believe that in response to these retailer concerns, Marvel did make a change to this policy recently. Is that true, and do you know what that change was? They, they pulled back just a little bit on the qualification percentages, and we're still nowhere near. We're talking, in some cases, between 30 and 80 additional copies we would have to order. So we're still nowhere near, even with them adjusting their qualifications. It's just not possible for us. It's a dangerous know. thing. You know, I mean, I know you know this and regular listeners know, but, you know, this has come up a number of times on the show and especially in discussing alternate realities. You know, letting overstock pile up and lack of product turnover can really be a store killer. So if you are like really going out of your way to order these extra copies to get these incentives and you're stuck with all of this overstock and you don't move it, it can become dangerous. The other thing, too, is... If you are going to that effort to get those incentives, you really better make sure you you have someone to sell it to. Exactly. Um, what if you went through the processes and you purchase these copies? Because, you know, uh, I think a lot of customers think that we do operate like the bookstore market where, you know, we send back everything that doesn't sell. Um, we don't pay for anything up front when it is the exact opposite. You know, you have paid for this stuff, let's say... I'd say a week after it comes out, you know, let's let's put it that way in understandable terms that, you know, the store is paid out cash money the, the week after a thing has come out, for example. You know, maybe the maybe the pre-order customer picks it up a month and a half from now. Maybe they pick it up a month later. So that's something to think about. But like you said, you have spent the money to get these additional things that you spent additional money on. What if you didn't get the right one? What if people wanted the one you didn't have? What if people didn't want any of them? There's just no way to... uh, All you can do is guess and try to do what you feel to be the right thing for your store is. That's what you really have to look at. Really look at what's going on here. What do we need to do? What are we able to do? What should we do? Those are the questions that really... I feel like really have to be asked, you know, or you could just go gung ho. Okay. We got to get 200 copies of this book so we can carry 50 copies of this special one. 
let's do it. Push the button. Let's do it. Devil's advocate. Well, why don't you just sell it on eBay if you can't sell it on, in store? Um, we don't do a ton of selling stuff on eBay. You know, again, we're one of the few stores I've encountered that doesn't supplement. We're, we are we're face-to-face interactions for the most part, be it on a statue, be it on a, you know, a classic comic book or new releases. We're primarily face-to-face, whereas I've, I feel like many of the stores that I am aware of supplement in a pretty significant way selling online, which we really don't do much of that. So for our purposes, that wouldn't necessarily be the you know, default, uh, you know, pull the lever, we can still do this, you know, jettison the, uh, jettison the weight. That wouldn't necessarily be what we would do. Gotcha. I wanted to kind of ask you a couple of follow-ups based on things that I've heard from other retailers in, in my travels. So one thing that's come up a couple of times is the importance of responding to the specific needs and interests of your market. Because again, not every you know, market is going to be the same depending on where you are. So two examples. At Comic Asylum in Palm Desert, that's an area that is uh, very tourist heavy. And uh, a lot of the customer base at that store, they're people who work at the resorts in the area. And so there are times during the year when those customers are more flush, when, you know, there's a lot of a lot of tourists in the area, and then times when it's it's slower and they might not have as much money to throw around. So they implemented a layaway program. Uh, the comic book shop in Delaware, which is a store I know you're familiar with, you know, when I spoke with them, and that episode will, will be airing on my comic shop history uh, in one week, uh, we talked about a lot of the events that they do, and they have things like ladies' night and teen night book clubs, like things like that, and the reason they incorporated those things was that's what people were asking about. So in the case of Acme, like, are there specific things that you've implemented because your market here, your clientele have requested them? I can't think of anything specific as far as that goes. Um, we recently introduced a uh, book club that primarily uh, Pete and Austin run. Um, I'll usually be here probably working on the previews order because of just when the you know book club falls. But you know that was something that uh, they were very passionate about, and there's a very strong you know book club regulars that will show up. You know, and, and it's it's a little bit of a social event where people recognize each other and you know they're, they're comfortable speaking about things one of the first uh one of the first book clubs we did uh was for kingdom come and we had like mark wade call in and that was it was That's a little cool. that was a little intimidating though that was a little intimidating I, I found out a couple of people actually didn't say some things they really thought about the book because the, the guy that wrote it was like right there you know we thought it would be really neat but then it just didn't occur to us that maybe would limit people's you know real opinions because the writer of the book was like you know able to hear what you're saying funny you say that because i recently announced that i'm going to be doing another podcast series called my comic shop book club and someone suggested like having the creator on you know whose book we're discussing a you know i don't know to what extent i would have the access to to the creators but but b more importantly that would be a different show then. And that might be a show I'd be interested in doing, you know, talking to creators about their process and about the work. But I feel like for it to be a true book club, yeah, you need to be able to speak freely about the work you're discussing. Absolutely. But, you know, we do try to be attentive to the things that customers say. 
On the note of feedback and going back to our previous topic, I meant to ask you, when you spoke to Marvel and, and vocalized your concerns about these incentives, I mean, like, in that case, or generally speaking, when you deal with them, like, what kind of response do you get? Um, I've known David Gabriel for a long time. When I first and started... And what, what is his position? He's the uh, vice president of sales and marketing. Like, he's, like, the guy. He's the guy that they send out to the Comics Pro meetings. Um, I've known him for a, a long time. Uh, he could be president of sales and marketing. Excuse me, David, if I got that wrong. But when I first started using Bendis' message board and representing myself as a retailer and you know presenting retailer point of view that a lot of people just didn't have, they didn't know how anything worked, Bendis gave me his email address. He's like, here's David Gabriel's email address. He seems like somebody you probably should talk to. This is years ago. And that's an access that most stores do not have. You know, you, even... Uh, you know, before being a part of Comics Pro and any type of retailer meet, uh, uh, retailer groups, I had that. I didn't really use it very much. You know, to have a direct line to that guy, he, he knew who I was and you know, recognized me um, when we would be at meetings. But I never really talked to him very much. Probably should have done more of that. Typically, there's not a whole lot you can do. But I would suggest perhaps there be some sort of alternative incentive that... If the meet and exceed is sort of benefiting stores that aren't doing many copies, there should then be some sort of alternative that if you are doing well with copies, then this is what this is an option that you are able to benefit from. That's not, you know, lowering your quantity of copies because they don't want to do that, but just some sort of other reward that if you are doing well with the series, then you are not completely just out of the conversation and cut off of, of a special incentive item. So, you know, a driving theme of really everything that I've done with this is is community. And I know that at a comic book shop, you know, you always get very colorful people on both sides of the counter. And, you know, we, we talked a little bit before about your, uh, you know, your group of regulars. Uh, do you socialize with them outside of the store? Um, every now and then. Every now and then. You know, especially if there's like a movie coming out or something. Maybe you'll tell people, okay, we're going to this particular showing um, it, it can happen from time to time where, you know, you become friends with somebody, you know, that, that can happen. You know, I, I had a, I had a birthday thing recently and there were a few people that I was like, I think it's okay if this person knows I'm doing a birthday thing. We'll see. Maybe they show up, maybe they don't, but it's probably okay if they know about this. Interesting. So like, cause again, I know you heard the alternate realities episodes and we talked about, uh, our weekly tradition of going out to dinner with Steve and the other owners when there were other owners and, uh, you know, we, the staff and customers, like when you hear something like that, do you think like, oh, like, that's cool. Like, it'd be nice if we did something like that. Or do you feel like mm, that might not be the best idea? Because that was actually a sentiment that was expressed, uh, by Pat Callanan at Cave Comics, where his feeling was he doesn't socialize with his employees or, or customers outside the store to that extent because his feeling is there needs to be a line between, you know, friend and retailer, and he didn't want to blur that line. I mean, where do you land on something like that? Um, there, there's two things in play. It's that this particular store, since I've been around, it's been this sense of everybody really wanted to throw in and give a little bit extra for the place to do well. You know what I mean? Like, that's part of what, what kept me coming around. And it was like this infectious thing. That other people felt the same way. We want to be a part of this place being awesome. You know, we want to be in on that. 
part of what makes it possible for people to want to do that is you, you got to, you know, friendship has to be there and has to be a part of it. You know, hopefully the lines don't get blurred, but, you know, saying, hey, everybody, let's go get some food tonight. Anybody up for that? That's something that it's it's good. It's good for morale. It's good for, you know, keeping everybody in the game. So that's something that you would, is that something that you do or that you would want to do or are you oh, open that's, to uh, doing? Uh, for as long as I had been around, up until maybe maybe two years ago, everybody you know went out to eat together at least once a week. Oh, you know, cool. you, you had like a you've had a rough and tumble Wednesday. You were really just getting like you know just Wednesday workout. It's like okay, let's go eat somewhere. Anybody want to go eat where they like bring you food and like refill your beverages and stuff? You want to do that? But then there came a period of time where that went away, which you know I was always used to it being that way and then it just kind of stopped but we're recently bringing that back again and and that's a good thing well i think that brings us full circle here um i gotta tell you i have had such a great time speaking with you uh, i know there there was something that you wanted to share uh, at the end before we sign off but before we get to that was there anything else that you wanted to discuss anything that i didn't bring up that that i should have I mean, there, there's always more strings to pull upon, you know, of various sorts, which is why I hope that we'll be able to talk again at length. I hope so, too. About the, you know, to really unpack, not just from myself, but to really unpack from as many people as possible that we can locate these 35 years of Acme Comics. And I think there's all sorts of interesting things that maybe I'm not even aware of, or I don't, you know, because I was there for it, I don't know that it's interesting to other people. But I think there's something to really unpack and analyze and kind of spread out and see, see what we've got going on here. So I'm, I'm hoping that that will be possible. So I think, I think you're the man for the job. I think that, you know, from the earliest kernels of the idea of what you wanted to do that turned into, you know, the, the, uh, the documentary, the season one, I think that you, the universe was preparing you, you know, for this, uh, for the Acme comic story. I, I genuinely believe that. And, uh, I, I think that in time it will happen. Well, I appreciate the vote of confidence. No, I would love to do something long form with Acme like I did with alternate realities. I think, you know, there. I mean, there is a lot of history there to mine. And, you know, we were talking about this during lunch. But, you know, with alternate realities, I knew the play. I mean, not that I knew every aspect of the store's history. That's certainly not the case. But I knew enough of it and I knew the people and I knew the questions to ask and where to go. I was still engaged by it. It wasn't like I was just going through the motions. But what kind of appeals to me about this is uh, doing more, quote unquote, investigation, because I really would be coming at this from, you know, not a completely blank slate, but there's so much that I would need to learn and go through. And it would be interesting. So, you know, I I absolutely hope that we're able to do, if not that, then, you know, something else uh, along those lines. Exactly. Because, you know, my memory is terrible and, you know, I I don't want... You know, there's so much to Acme that it needs to come from and through people other than myself. You know, all these things we've talked about, all the things that I have learned how to do, it did not happen in a vacuum. There were always other people around. You know, there, there were always, there was always a, a, a community of people, even if it was 12 people or just four people. There was always some group that was around that was making the things that were happening possible you know it it was not happening in a vacuum with just you know just me rolling the rock up the hill alone it was always more people would you like to share 
what you have written? So a while back, I was curious as to how long I'd been working at Acme Comics. And you can stop me at any point, and I'll kind of, you know, clarify anything. You know, I, what was my exact start date? I, I wasn't even sure. Um, so, you know, util, utilizing my partis- persistence and, you know, various uh, inquiries, I learned that uh, my official hire date was September 23rd, 1996. It was my first official day. So that means... 21 years. That's that's a long time to be anywhere. You know, there's some stores that haven't been open for 21 years at all. There'll be a few people uh, listening to this that maybe weren't even born yet in 1996. Um, and there's some people I've known the whole time. There There's some people that they didn't have kids when they met, and now those kids are going into college or or entering the workforce or have been in either of those places or none of those places for a while. Some of you listening will have come and gone, come back into comics again, but I would still be there like no time had passed. You know, other than a few gray hairs, people would say, you haven't aged today. I was thinking about the two decades I've worked for Acme Comics, and I realized something. I don't work for Acme Comics. I work at Acme Comics, but I don't work for... Acme Comics, not not for 21 years. I don't. What I do is I work for Willie Breeze. I work for Josh and Greg Evans. I work for Vivian Maynard. I work for Sonia Jimenez in Spain. I work for Paul Stutz. I work for Kirk Jordan. I work for Stephanie Job. I work for Chad Merritt, Hannah Greer, Davion Person. Dan Schultz, I work for the Carroll family, the Krasowski family. I work for Deirdre Sykes in New Jersey, who's only been here one time, but she's shopped with us for many, many years through mail order. I work for the people who moved away a long time ago. I work for the people I haven't even met yet. I work for people that have not found Acme Comics, have not come through the door yet, have not found our Facebook page, have not found our website. I work for whoever's listening to this, and I do that using Acme Comics. I just listed a short list of people. I can't list everybody. So I just listed a few people. I think that through this store, then I serve as an ambassador of comic books and graphic novels and a friend of comic books and graphic novels and the people who really love that stuff. I think that's why I'm here in Greensboro. I think that's why I do what I do. And I need to thank everybody that's contributed to this ongoing journey that I'm still a part of. Um, I just wanted to say thanks for making it possible for me to be here for 21 years. And that uh, I look forward to many more years working with you as part of the community. So that's all I wanted to say. Well, that's, that's really beautiful. And thank you for sharing that. And this from the guy who said he doesn't like talking about himself. That took a, <laughs> that took a tremendous effort. You don't know how much effort that took. You know, I, I can, uh, you know, I'm going to like faint not long after this uh, podcast episode. Now, I see the emotion on your face, and I think listeners you know, hear it in your voice as well. And it's you know, a beautiful sentiment that you expressed. Uh, you know, I mean, congratulations on, on 21 years. Congratulations on everything that you've done to make Acme what it is today. Uh, thank you so much for you know, being part of these episodes of My Comic Shop History. Thank you for you know, being a friend even before I met you in person and for, you know, turning so many people onto the show and for making me feel as welcome as I have 
uh, over these past few days that I've been here. It's really like, you know, like I've been here a million times before. So, you know, thank you so much. Yeah, it's like you're not a stranger at, at all. And, uh, you know, uh, Acme Comics and what's going on here, it's always a work in progress. We're, we're never done. We're never like, okay, that's done. We can, uh, you know, sit back and, and uh, you know, watch the fill in the blank happen. It's always a work in progress. We're always still trying to find ways to improve, ways to uh, connect with new people, and just ways to be, you know, an ongoing member of the community and, and a part of people's routine. Well, Jermaine, thank you again very much, my friend. Anytime, anytime. Uh, we will talk again. It's going to happen. Yes. Well, thank you again to Jermaine and the entire Acme community. Thank you to everyone for listening. I hope you keep tuning in. And until then, and I think my sign-off is especially appropriate this week in light of what you just expressed, just keep punching. (laughs) 